Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. So if you'll have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along, I'm going to look in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. I'd like to direct your attention to the 19th chapter. 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want to give you a chance to go there. One of my favorite Old Testament characters, not that you care so much about who my favorite characters are, but probably one of the most astute prophets in all of, in all of history, and certainly in all of the Old Testament. <clears throat> and this guy's name was Elijah. And of all the prophets listed in the Old Testament, one of the things I wrote here, or even the entire Bible for that matter, um, Elijah stands among the greatest. I've got a list of things that I have that I've put together uh, of the things that he did while he was in his time here on earth, in his ministry, and even after, as we look at the Mount of Transfiguration. But he literally was fed by ravens for a long period of time during a very harsh famine. He prayed for rain and God responded. He dealt with King Ahab and, and his wife Jezebel. He challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel in which God showed himself in an amazing way. And then he eliminated the 450 prophets of Baal. He met, met with God on Mount Oreb. <clears throat> like Enoch, he didn't die. He was translated into another world in a whirlwind. He experienced and performed many miracles. Paul uses him as an illustration, so doesn't James. John the Baptist or the baptizer was often equated to Elijah. And when Jesus had his Mount experience, Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and John, James and John, he shows up there as well. Pretty amazing fellow, right? I mean, I, I, just, I was just going back through all the, all the things that he experience and all the things that he did in his life. And I, and I sit there and I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing, right? I mean, he might be somebody you want to be friends with, right? I mean, if he can feed you and get you water and all the things you need, and you'd be pretty amazed to have a friend like that. He was also quick to condemn you if you did something wrong. But a powerful man of God, we would say. But if you look there in the 19th chapter, it's a really interesting chapter because you see a, a transition in Elijah's, I, I've been trying to find the right word. I don't know if it's attitude. Um, I, I don't know if it's what it is, but there's a huge eruption in his life that takes place that he begins to doubt, begins to experience things that we don't necessarily see in the previous chapters or throughout his life. He's a powerful man of God. But in 1 Kings 19, we see something that can be easily missed as we read past or if we read past the emotion of the text, in spite of all the triumphs, in spite of all the victories and all the miracles and all the mountaintop experiences in the 19th chapter, as you read through that passage, you find out that he truly is a human being. He's a man. He has failures and faults. He's got issues that he has to deal with. And so what I've, what I've literally written down was Elijah's dose of reality, right? And some of you are in, in, in college for the first time, right? How many first timers? Oh, raise your hand. Come on. There's more of you than that, right? 
And, and maybe you woke up this morning and, and it was like a dose of reality. I'm, I'm not at home anymore, right? Any, anybody homesick? All right. It gets better. It gets better, right? No, the dining hall is not going to provide you with mom's home-cooked meals. I, 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 can't, I can't make it happen. I've been trying for about 15 years now to make that happen, and they just can't seem to replicate mom's kitchen, you know. But, but it's still edible. All right, just making sure you're listening, all right? Elijah's dose of reality. We've all had those experiences. We call them whatever you want to call them. Experiences, you know, hard times, hardships, something. Something in our life brings us back to reality. We're like, oh yeah, I'm still human. Or, oh yeah, this is still life. Or, oh yeah, I'm still in college. Or, oh yeah, I'm still at work. Whatever, whatever, right? And what, what you begin to see there, and one of the things that I, some of the things that I began to notice again, once again in this passage, was, was what was happening in his life. So he's had the mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's disposed of all the prophets of Baal. And then in the midst of that, in, in what seems to be a victory, we might classify it as a victory or a purging, so to speak, he's, he's victorious and he's shown that God is God. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, Ahab, who, who literally is subservient to his wife Jezebel, goes and tells on Elijah and says, guess what Elijah did? And begins to talk about Elijah's work on Mount Carmel. And here's what, and as I begin to think about who could we equate Jezebel too, and I begin to think about who's the, who's the lady on 101 Dalmatians? Is it Cruella Deville? Like Cruella Deville on steroids, right? And here's literally what she says to this man. <clears throat> if you look down in about verse uh, two, middle part of verse two, it says, "May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them, like one of the." prophets of Baal. And notice what the first three words of verse 3 say. Do you see it? Elijah was afraid. Elijah, now I don't know what kind of, I mean, I've, I've read what little bit there is to read about Jezebel, but she must have been some woman, right? No? I mean, come on. Even the prophet Elijah is afraid of her. That's, that's, how, that's how mean this woman was. And it isn't so much that she's a woman, but as a human being, Elijah knew exactly what she was capable of doing. And it says, he was afraid. Afraid. In fact, he takes off and leaves. He even leaves his servant at one point, just leaves him behind. And he goes off and he, and he, and he, and he rests under a tree, a bush, and he's, and, he's, and he's laying there. And he literally says these words, just let me die. He's praying, just let me die. Just let me die. Now, if he really wanted to die, you know, thinking about the paradox of that statement, if he really wanted to die, why didn't he just let Jezebel kill him, right? I mean, honestly. But... That really wasn't what he was up against. He, he was struggling as a human, and he says, like, Lord, just, just let me die. And that's one of the first things you realize in his humanity is that he's afraid. 
right? He has fear. And I began for all you psychology majors, and I know you know this, so we'll, we'll just review a little bit. There, there are five basic factors of fear, right? Is it, is it five? Y'all stare, do y'all all not pay attention in psychology? I, I don't know, okay. So I'll give them to you, that way you'll have them ahead of time. So there's the fear of extinction, there's the, you know, so that's, that's basically the idea that no longer being a, the, the primary ex- existential ex- anxiety in all of the normal humans, it's the fear of dying or being eliminated. The fear of mut- mutilation, which literally is the fear of anything that's going to harm us, right? or could potentially harm us, like animals and spiders, and I hate spiders, so that's one of my biggest fears, creepy things that come up in the middle of the night or whatever. Loss of autonomy, loss of separation, loss of ego death, just those, those fears that exist. And when I began reading through that list again, I was like, huh, it looks like Elijah was struggling with all five, maybe not, but he was really, really afraid. And I began thinking about all the things that make me afraid. When, 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 I'm, when I'm in my life and I'm going through the steps of life and working through issues in my life, and there are moments when I get really afraid. And I'm not talking about superficial fears, I'm talking about real fears. Having things happen in my family that cause me to be afraid, or situations that are outside of my control and I get afraid. Um, I, I begin to think about those things that really impact my life. And I begin to think about Elijah's fear. And, and you have fears, right? We all have fears, things that, that make us afraid. And, and, and maybe it's a fear of tomorrow, not knowing what God's plan is for you. Maybe you've come to college and you've not selected a major yet, and you're afraid of knowing what that's gonna be or figuring that out, or maybe you're getting pressure from other places to hurry up and choose a major, and there's fear as a result of that, or whatever, whatever your fears may be, they exist. And I I began thinking about that because fear is really a natural part of life, right? If you have a fear of heights and you get up on a tall building and you're looking over the edge, right? You know that feeling? That, that feeling of fear, and we've all experienced it. It's a natural part of life, but in fact, it keeps us safe at times, in, in the right times. But it, we cannot allow it to control our life. And that's what was happening in, a, in Elijah's situation. He was getting his eyes off of God, and he was getting his eyes on just the situation. He was getting his eyes on what people could do or how people could harm him or whatever. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't have been just as afraid. Probably I would have gone further to try to get away from Jezebel. But that fear was very, very real in his life. And the second thing we find, in fact, that, that, that fear factor, when, when you look at it, when you look at verses 9 and, and verse 13, <clears throat> God asks Elijah a question. What, what, are, what are you doing here? What are you, he's in a cave, right? He's hiding. God says, what, what are you doing here? Then he asks him again a little later, what, 
what are you doing here? Fear was driving him. And then each time he responds to God's question, we, we see something else begin to emerge. Discouragement, right? And I, I think fear and discouragement often go hand in hand. Sometimes when we're fear or afraid, when we have fear in our life, discouragement follows close behind. There are a number of reasons why we can be afraid, and there's a number of reasons why we can be discouraged. Begin to think about four different reasons why discouragement emerges. Sometimes it's because we're tired. One of the, one of the questions I ask my students is, what time do you go to bed at night, right? Because they're like, I'm really tired. Is anybody here really tired this morning, by the way? Oh, okay. And so my question to you is, what time did you go to bed last night, right? So sometimes our discouragement comes from just being tired, fatigued. Uh, sometimes it comes from frustration. Uh, maybe we just can't figure something out. And so fatigue builds on frustration, and then we have fear, and then maybe there's failure, and whatever happens in our life builds this thing called discouragement. And I want you to look down in verse 10, and then you can see it again in verse 11, I believe, or verse 14, rather. He says this, because he answers God's question, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he replies with these words, I've been very zealous for the Lord. And I'm trying to add emotion here because I feel like he's being kind of exuberant in his response to God. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And I, I don't just see the fear emerging. I see the discouragement in his life because he responds twice to that. Because God asks him again a little bit later, why are you here? Why are you here? And as you read down through that passage, God calls him out of the cave. And it says some things begin to happen, right? There was a, there was a great wind that began to blow, literally picking up rocks and smashing them in front of him. And then it says something like this. It says, and God was not in the wind. And then it says that there was an earthquake and everything began to shake. And then it says, God was not in the earthquake. And then it says there was a great fire. And then it says, God wasn't in the fire. And then all of a sudden it says, and then there was a gentle whisper. One of the translations says, a gentle murmur. And sometimes when we're afraid and sometimes when we're discouraged, it's easy to get our eyes on the things that attract our attention. It could have easily had his attention attracted by, by the wind. He could have easily had his attention attracted by the earthquake or the fire. But in each instance, it says that God was not in those moments. And then that gentle voice, that gentle murmuring, and I began to think about that. He had to listen to hear. And sometimes when we're, we're discouraged and sometimes when we're afraid, we lose focus, don't we? I do. I shouldn't say we. I, I lose focus. And, and he's lost focus because now he's having what we might call a pity party. He's feeling sorry for himself. And he's sitting there and he's like, nobody else, nobody else is left to serve you. Everybody else has, you know, bowed their feet and kissed Baal and they, 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 they've, uh, 
they've been drawn away. Now I'm the only one left. And so in his discouragement, he's lost focus. He's focused on people and things and fear, all this stuff. And God begins to help him realize that that's not true. That's not true. And in that gentle voice, he asks him again, why are you here? I've had, I've had that same moment in my life where I hear, I hear the voice of God in Scripture saying that very same thing to me. Why, why are you here? Why have you allowed yourself to get to this point? And it, 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 isn't, it, isn't just, it isn't just a way to make me feel bad or feel guilty, but it's, it's a challenge. Why have I allowed myself to get into this, into this place? Why am I here? And God's calling me back. He calls Elijah out of the cave. Come here. Let me show you something. God's not in all this stuff. It's not, it's not in the earthquake and the wind and the fire. Elijah doesn't have, or I mean, uh, Jezebel doesn't have any power over you unless you allow her to have power over you. And you and I don't have to allow fear and discouragement to have power over us. We don't. We can reject its power over our lives. And you may be afraid right now in some capacity. You may be discouraged in some capacity, or sometime in this semester, remember this sermon, remember these words. You may be struggling with fear. How do I pay my school bill? Or how do I get home for the holidays? Or whatever. Fear may be a factor in your life. Or discouragement. How many times students have come and, you know, they're discouraged about something they just need to share. And that's a reality for us in that moment. And for Elijah, that was a very real moment in his life. He was afraid and he was fearful. But he had to listen. Robert Greenleaf once said this. He said, we have lost the art of listening. Most of the time, oftentimes, I'm listening to reply, not listening to understand. And sometimes I've got to be willing in my own spiritual journey to really listen to what God's word is saying to me. What is, what is God's word saying to me? How can I overcome my fear? How can I overcome my discouragement in these moments? So I've, as every good pastor, I've got three good points for you to take notes on. And that was supposed to be funny. Ha, 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 ha. So there are ways to overcome fear and discouragement. The first one is to recognize the source of that fear and that discouragement. Let me just say this to you, college students. Let me just say this to you. Satan's going to do everything he can to discourage you and create fear in your life. Amen. He's going to do everything he can to create fear and discouragement in your life. So be aware of that. Sometimes, sometimes... You simply need rest. So please go to bed earlier. All right? That game will wait till tomorrow morning. Okay. Sometimes, and you'll appreciate this the older you get, but sometimes you just need to hear a word of encouragement, right? And I can tell you that every professor on this campus Every administrator on this campus wants to encourage you. If you need a listening ear, 
Make an appointment. Go meet with them. They're going to listen to what you have. If you're discouraged, if you're afraid, share with them. Sometimes you just need that word of encouragement in your life. Sometimes, sometimes we just need to reorganize our life, like adopt better time management skills, right? Absolutely. So recognize the source of fear and discouragement in your life. Second thing is to keep my focus on God every day. You know, I hear people say how important God's Word is to them in their life. And I always want to say to them, that's, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. How much time do you actually spend in God's Word? How much time do you actually take to read the Bible? It, we, we, we really can't say that it's important to us if we're not reading it. Am I right? It, it's, 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 it's not, if, 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 it's just, if it's just a book on my shelf and I can say, oh yeah, yep, that's really important to me. Um, I, I read it once or twice a year. It's, you know, Christmas and Easter and whenever, but it's, it's really important. No, no. If God's word is really going to be important in your life, then it needs to be something that you engage in every day. You want to learn what it has to say? Read it. Read it. Read God's Word. It's amazing. It's amazing how God will speak through His Word to you into your life if you'll read it. Pray. Listen to me. The discipline of prayer is something that we talk about all the time, right? Every time you go to church, we, we mention prayer, right? Every time you come to chapel, we pray. But how many times a day or how often do we as individuals really engage in the discipline of prayer? Right? And here's what I began to think about. And I was sharing this in class the other day, so those of you that were in my class on, on Monday. But one of the things that I find really interesting is that there are two kinds of faith. There's verb faith and there's noun faith, right? So there's the what faith and the how faith. And we're pretty good with the what faith because we can regurgitate all the definitions and everything that the Bible says. Like, you know, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've read that before, right? Because you read the Bible. Okay. So that, that's our what faith, right? We, we, can, we can give a good definition of what faith is all, all through Hebrews 11. It tells us what faith is and how people exhibited it. But what about the how faith, the verb faith, the action because you see, we can say that we believe in something, but if we don't really engage in that belief, then it's really not a belief. It's just an idea or just words that we use, right? So we've got to be able to transition what we say we believe into actually how we live. Because we have to find a congruence between our faith and our character. Those two must come together. We, as individuals, must engage. If we're going to say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, then God's Word has to become essential to my life. Every day. I must pray. pray prayer, you say, well, what is, what is real prayer? It's not just something we talk about. No, it's not just something we talk about. But prayer is my intentional communication with God. Intentional communication with God. 
It's, it's, it's not just something I mumble or recite or whatever. It's a true communication with God. And then the last thing is we have to work to maintain our faith. Work to maintain it, right? Now, it's not about you say, well, it's not about works because the Bible said you're exactly right. But faith without works is? Thank you. So my faith leads me to works. I've got to believe it, but then I've got to live it. And I've got to engage in that every day. And I'm not saying that you're never going to be discouraged by employing these things. I'm not saying you're never going to be afraid because I'd be lying to you. There's going to be moments when you're afraid. There's going to be moments when you're discouraged. There's going to be moments when you realize that you need somebody to listen to you. I would challenge you to begin with God. I would challenge you to find somebody on this campus who will listen to you because God has put them into your life for a reason. Amen. Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you for these attentive listeners. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for those who have gone before us, who have shown us their mistakes, how they messed up or how they failed or lacked in a certain area, may we learn from those things. May we improve every day as we engage with your word, as we develop our communication with you through prayer. I pray that you would bless every student throughout this semester. Would you use them? Would you call them into your service no matter what field it may be in? And may everything that we seek to do in this day and in the days to come be to glorify your holy name. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.